folks, it's Alex. Listen, I've decided to get away for a minute and go into the woods to get away from the hustle and bustle of the city. And when I say get away, I mean I'm totally unplugging and doing the Harry Woodsman thing, okay? I'm tired of making podcasts. I'm checking my Facebook 50 times a day. I'm done. I'm going to chill out here in the woods. I'm going to build my own shelter. I'm going to eat off the land. I'm going to really get to know myself as a man. So out here, I found this like uh, nice little area to set up camp, and I've got all the tools I need to survive. So it's getting dark. It's getting cold, too. So, hey, I'm going to set up a little fire and get my first night in nature off to a good start. All right, here I go. Arm is cramping up. Go! Wait a minute, what's that? Oh, f that. From WDET in Detroit, welcome to the beginning of the end. Stories about when, how, and why things end. My name's Alex Trajano. Safe and sound, by the way. Thanks for listening. So imagine leaving everything you know to start a whole new society in an undeveloped area in the woods. You have to farm the land, build your homes, create a society, everything from scratch. And you're given just a couple of cows, pigs, and chickens to start. That was the mission of one man to set up a colony on the thumb of Michigan. And he talked 300 city folk into following him to this new utopia. And can these city people figure it out? Here's producer Laura Weber-Davis with the story. Hello, Laura. Hi, Alex. So tell me about this crazy story. All right. Well, it's going to be important to say from the outset that this, as with any story, comes with conflicting accounts, and much of it is based on legend, hearsay, common knowledge, that type of thing. And this story also begins, as any other, with a big idea. A big idea. This idea was divined by a German pastor from a line of German pastors. His name was Emil Bauer, and he lived during the mid-1800s. Bauer was born in Germany, but came to the United States as a young man ready to do the Lord's work and wound up in Pittsburgh, of all places, where he became a Methodist. Emil conducted the work of a missionary while in Pittsburgh and became discouraged by the injustices faced by so-called slum dwellers, as they put it, working men and women who toiled in city life for meager means and often suffered disproportionately from discomfort and disease, such as smallpox. So these were the people like kind of living in poverty, basically. Yeah, they were living in poverty. They were, but, but they were working. They were, so they were not, you know, destitute, but they were not doing well. These were hard times. A civil war was brewing between the northern and southern states, and Emil felt hemmed in by city life and longed for more open spaces, peace, simplicity, freedom. And his friend wrote to him. His name is E.O. Haven, who later became actually the president of the University of Michigan. We are living in troublous times, and I recognize a providence in all these troubles. I trust the country will yet succeed in suppressing the rebellion 
and in throwing off the incubus of slavery. Nice voice. Thank you. And Ebel became fascinated with utopian societies and transcendentalism at the same time. Transcendentalists in New England had formed this utopian society based on political and philosophical intellectualism, and it worked for them. Emil Bauer wasn't a transcendentalist, but he admired their approach and community. As a result, he fell in with another community called Harmony, Pennsylvania. Harmony was a religious commune that had a notable level of success. This was a co-op, if you will, of hippie-type Germans that shared all their wealth with each other for the greater good. They were called Harmonists, and they, as a society, were well off. Rich hippies. Rich hippie commune. Surrounded by the devastation of disease, poverty, slavery, Emil came up with this big idea. He would start a Methodist commune using the models set by Transcendentalism and by the Harmonists, and he gave his idea a name. Ora Labora. Well, it is an interesting name. That's Alan Naldrit. He wrote uh, Lost Towns of Eastern Michigan, where I actually first read about Ora Labora. Ora et Labora was the original, which is Latin for pray and work. Ora Labora was actually just the shorthand version of the name. Emil Bauer wrote, Okay, let me see. i got to name the colony. The colony's name. The colony, I got it. The colony shall be named Christian, German, Agricultural, and Benevolent Society of Ora Labora. Yeah. Christian German Agricultural Benevolent Society of Ora Labora. No, that's so a name. Here's Emil's big idea. He's going to start a utopian society of his very own, a German Methodist utopia. And, you know, good for him. But he still had the issue of where. Where was he going to put this thing? He wanted to farm, so there had to be land. And he needed the colony to be profitable, so he needed a lot of land. The fact is that we wanted these hardworking Germans here at that time. Here, in this case, is Michigan, this beautiful state that we all know and love. And, you know, why wouldn't everyone want to start a colony here? We were known as that state that had all the swamps, all the mosquitoes, um, all malaria. So they had a tough time drawing people to Michigan. The state of Michigan had this patch of land not yet settled by pioneers. It was in the Thumb region of the Mitten near Bayport and Pigeon. The state wanted to turn a profit on the land. Alan Naldrit says that Emil Bauer saw this swampy, marshy, uninhabited land and thought, Perfect! (laughs) And they started their colony. They bought the land. And they got it for $1.25 an acre, which was a real discount for the time because the land really wasn't that good. So Ora Labora had a location, but Emil had no money. Not enough to buy land and start a colony anyway. So he turned to a group of people that he knew would support the expansion of utopian societies. The rich hippies? Right, the harmonists, exactly. So the head of the harmonists at the time, um, Dr. Duss, he said, 
A number of well-meaning individuals in the Pittsburgh vicinity, feeling that the crowding of the lower classes into tenements, etc., of the city was not conducive either to health, morals, or good citizenship, conceived the notion that these people should be taken away from their environment and given the opportunity to earn their livelihood under the clean canopy of heaven. Excellent voice acting. But I have a question. How'd he get the money? So Emil convinced the Harmonists to actually loan him $20,000 to start the colony. Wow. Harmony cut the check. Emil purchased the land. He convinced almost 300 people to give up city life and create a wilderness utopia with him. And they made plans to set sail for Ora Labora. Well, wait a minute. Who were these 300 people? How did he talk all these people into this? Oh, they were they were working class people. They were just working in Pittsburgh. They were tradesmen. They were mechanics. And a lot of them were actually illiterate, and they just signed on to this deal with an ex, which, you know, a lot of people were illiterate at the time. But these were people who were just kind of fed up with city life. They were German, and they were Methodist, but they were ready to go. The colonists set sail by schooner from Detroit and headed for the part of the Thumb that they named Wild Fowl Bay. It's still called Wild Fowl Bay to this day. So this band of Pittsburgh mechanics and tradesmen, these sick and downtrodden German-American Methodists, were leaving for their version of utopia. Emil had grand plans for their arrival as well. The first thing they were going to do was build an altar. All right, let me see. To the Triangle God, an altar shall be built to the praise of his glorious name in remembrance of our covenant. Yeah. So... Here they are in their schooner, sailing up Lake Huron, when a storm hit. A huge storm. The Oralaborans were tossed around this boat along with the animals that they were bringing to the colony. And by the time that they arrived at Wildfowl Bay, they were actually forced to swim the animals to shore like some Swiss family Robinson. And then they actually built the altar. This altar shall be built of stones which shall be taken out of the water of our bay, Wildflower Bay. Wildfowl Bay. Wildfowl Bay. And each person that is admitted to its full membership of our society shall add a stone to this altar before such person is admitted in full connection. Yeah, that's it. Each man, woman, and child, they set a stone down in this pile or altar on the beach at Wildfowl Bay to symbolize their commitment to God, their commitment to each other, and their commitment to Ora Labora. And then they filed, one by one, into the marshy overgrowth of the woods and plotted out the site of Ora Labora. So what happened next? How did they build their lives? Well, from there, they they did build up. Everyone was given two cows, two pigs, two chickens, and half an acre of land. They constructed cabins, and every cabin had this place to grow hops for beer. At the time, you know, there was already a growing movement to ban alcohol consumption in the United States, especially among more religious groups. Um... But even though the Ora Laborans were religious, beer was both practical and personal for them. When they didn't have potable water, 
they made beer out of the water. And many, if not most, of the people drank it exclusively instead of the water because when you drink the water, you might catch cholera or some kind of disease. But they weren't just making beer the whole time. They, they did construct a community. They had a tannery, a bakery, a post office, and a sawmill. Orlobora was in this densely forested area, and so they made a profit, as many people did during the time, logging and clearing the area of hardwoods. But Emil's primary objective was to farm the land. He wanted to turn these city folk into real pioneering farmers, and he crafted their schedule around a farming and praying life, work and pray, ora et labora. So it went something like this. 5 a.m. every morning, the Aura Laborans were woken up by the blowing of a horn. At 5.30, they prayed. At 6 a.m., they had breakfast. And then at 6.30, they began working. They farmed until noon, took a short break, and then they were back to farming their plots until 6 p.m., A couple of hours were given to their own personal plots of land after 6, but then at 9 p.m., they were back to worshiping. And after that, they were headed to bed and started the whole process over again the next day. 5 a.m. horn, then pray, then work, then pray. 5 a.m. horn, then pray, then work, then pray. Horn, pray, work, pray. Horn, pray, work, pray. And it went on like this. I can't believe that they would think, be that cool with this for that long. Were they? Uh, Sure, for a while. And then what happened? Well, they became sick. Literally, sick and tired. Some of them came down with malaria because they were living in this mosquito-y swamp and they knew nothing of the wilderness. City folks. Exactly, city folks. And so they weren't sure why they were getting sick. And they started spending their free time, what little they actually had, complaining about colony business and about Emil as a leader. They thought that Emil wasn't managing the colony as well as he should be. So what'd they do? So they tried to kill him. Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Desperate times call for desperate measures. Find out if the grass truly is greener. After this word. This is the beginning of the end. The beginning of the end is proud to have Axel Brewing Company as a sponsor. And one of the things that's pretty cool about Axel's vibe is their president, Dan Riley. Dan loves the communal spirit of storytelling and wanted to create the perfect companion for sharing stories with friends. Beers, beers that elicit a good story and a good time. Every beer tells a story. And I think we we like to think that beer is the grist for great storytelling. So Dan joined forces with brewer Scott King, who shares Dan's love of books and stories and together created some really good beer. And here's the thing, each beer has its own unique origin story that inspires its personality and flavor. A character in Dan's mind brought to life by Scott. Here's Dan talking about the Ruby of the Ruby Red IPA. And I thought about Ruby as this, like, you know, this red-headed, green-eyed stunner, you know, um, the kind of inaccessible woman who's brilliant, has a huge vinyl collection um, that, you know, you might have a little bit of a shot with. And 
you'll go out with her for a few weeks knowing the whole time that you're going to get left shredded. And uh, so so that was kind of... Yeah, I know. So that was kind of the story behind Ruby. And then Axel's we, Ruby Red IPA will not break your heart. In fact, it'll bring out some stories inside you that you didn't know existed. You should check out the stories of the characters that inspired their other beers, like the Frank Black IPA and more. Axel Brewing Company, made right here in the Detroit area. Honoring tradition left of the dial. Check them out at axelbrewing.com. Hey there. Before we get back to the show, I want to say something real quick. Our next episode is going to be the last one for season one, and we're really proud of it. And we're going to take a short break and start tooling up for a season two. And we're excited about that. But this is where you come in. Now, I'm going to assume that you like this show since you're listening right now, so I'm going to ask as humbly as I can for a little support so we can grow. Yeah, I'm asking you for your hard-earned money. And I know that every podcast out there that you're listening to is asking for your money too, and many of them are well worth it. But I waited till the last couple of episodes on purpose in the hopes that if you made it this far, maybe it means the beginning of the end is worth it to you. So look, any amount helps. Check this out. If all of our listeners gave just $5, we could maybe hire another talented producer or buy the equipment we need to make the show better for you. Don't let this be the end of the beginning of the end. And I promise, no annoying emails or phone calls down the road. I specifically asked for it to be set up that way. So please, give. Go to beginningoftheend.org, choose an amount, leave us some thoughts, and that's it. Thank you so very much. Now, back to the show. This is the beginning of the end. I'm Alex Trujano. Emil Bauer got 300 people to start a German Methodist colony in a swampy area of Michigan and called this utopia Ora Labora. And it seemed like these city dwellers didn't really have the chops to sustain it long term. And in their frustration, they decided it might be time to get rid of their leader by killing him. Here's producer Laura Weber Davis with the rest of the story. So there isn't a great level of detail surrounding the attempt on Emo Bauer's life, but there is this account of the Ora Laborans hatching a plan to kill Emil by felling a tree on him. <laughs> <laughs> right. So they were going to crush him and and make it look like an accident. But Emo was given the heads up, actually, and the plot was foiled. How? The Ora Laborans, because they were city tradesmen, they were not lumberjacks. In other words, they didn't really know what they were doing. Right, and they didn't actually know how to fell a tree the right way. <laughs> so they, if they were going to chop a tree down, it was going to be in a circle. They chopped a tree in a circle like beavers. That, that, that's how some described it anyway. Wait, that's not how you chop down a tree? No. <laughs> no, it is not. So they didn't really know how to fall a tree on a person other probably than by happenstance. Um, and whether or not he just heard that the plan was being hatched or saw a slow falling tree actually coming at him, it's not <laughs> clear. But Emil's secretary warned him and Emil remained unscathed. But so we have a problem here, right? Clearly the communal utopia is falling apart and Ora Labora is actually losing money. Fast. They start slaughtering and selling animals because they just can't afford to feed them. And the Ora Laborans decide they are able to make better decisions without Emil. They thought that they could manage the money better, in and out. Better. Just better than Emil. 
Like how? Well, they decide that the best thing that they could do is build a dock. A dock? Yeah, a dock. So Emo thinks that this is a stupid idea. Sounds stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Some outsider fishermen put it into their heads that a dock in eight or ten feet of water would make them all right. And against the most convincing arguments of the president, who is me, that the ice would carry the dock away in the spring and that the clearing of the land was the most necessary work, they spent the fall and winter of 1864-65 making a dock, to which the ice carried it away in the spring. Dummies. And they weren't really getting along. They clearly didn't understand pioneering. And on top of that, reality hit. The Civil War. Here's author Alan Naldred again. We sent a lot of people into the Civil War, the Michigan Volunteer Infantries. 90,000 people to be exact. Over the course of the Civil War, almost a quarter of able-bodied men in Michigan went to fight for the Union. And these Ora Laborans were people who thought slavery was wrong and believed in the Union's fight. So when the draft came around, it took Ora Labora's most capable farmers away. An email said, We had a draft most every month for a time. At one time, we had a few old men, the women and 84 children. We were obligated to borrow money to give mortgages to our lands. And with the small means we had from honorary members and donations, it was a marvel we held out from December 1862 to March 1869. So uh, that pretty much took care of the colony the uh, older people and the women there just couldn't maintain. Hold up. 1862 to 1869. Are you saying Or Labora only survived for like seven years or so? Um, yeah. And the Harmonists weren't happy. Remember them? Oh, yeah. The people who laid out the cash for Or Labora, the rich hippies. Exactly. And the head of Harmony, Dr. Doss, said... <clears throat> This experiment in social uplift proved a dismal failure. These newfangled pioneers were full of discontent. Far from appreciating the light of sun, they grumbled about its heat. In fair weather, things were too dry. And when fell the refreshing rain, things were too wet. Upon the whole, their attitude reminds one of the children of Israel murmuring against Moses. Or in other words, city folk cannot handle this kind of life. <laughs> exactly. And Emil never was able to fully repay the Harmonists, actually. But, you know, the Harmony Society didn't survive in the long run either. By the end of the 1870s, this utopian community ideal that kind of was a big thing at the time had pretty much uh, gone away. And people were more localized in their worship. So what happened to the Ora Laborans? Well, Ora Labora disbanded. The state granted some land to any colonists who wanted to stay and farm. And what happened to our man Emil? Uh, Emil went to Ann Arbor. He moved there because he had close friends there, and I think probably wanted to be part of an academic world. He became a teacher. The buildings in Ora Labora were moved to other locations, most of them anyway. The land remained cleared of trees for farming. 
But actually, the excessive deforestation in that area contributed during a drought to these two huge fires that actually swept through the Thumb region and sort of decimated the Ora Labora area. And Emil wrote, The property comprises some well-timbered sandlands on the shore. The rest is lost. Or Labora just wasn't meant to be. Clearly. Even though his big idea failed, Emil still looked back on Ora Labora with fondness until he died many years later. He continued his German Christian pursuits. He uh, was an advocate against capital punishment and really rallied against prohibition. Wow. So that was the end of Utopian Michigan, all of the six years that it lasted. Is, is that all we get? I guess so. But in the spirit of the pious Emil Bauer, I hope, Alex, that you'll actually provide me with uh, an opportunity to give some perspective from the good book. Lay it on me. All right, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. It goes like this. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. Big thanks to Alan Naldrit, author of Lost Towns of Eastern Michigan, and to the University of Michigan's Bentley Historical Library. The Beginning of the End is a production of WDET, and this episode was produced by Laura Weber Davis, who will now and forever be referred to as Ora Wabora Davis. Our theme is by Detroit's own Duende. Check them out at duendeolay.com. I'm Alex Trajano on Twitter at A Trajano Detroit, and so is the show at BOTE Podcast. Subscribe to the show however you get your podcasts, and please leave a review in iTunes to help us get noticed. Another way you can help is by donating a few dollars to help us with Season 2. I'd really, really appreciate it. You can give any amount you'd like at beginningoftheend.org. On the next Beginning of the End, our season finale, author and filmmaker Alan Slutsky, a full-time musician on a 10-year mission to tell the story of the Funk Brothers, the legendary band that played on hundreds of Motown hits, with the film Standing in the Shadows of Motown. I mean, every guitar I owned was in the pawn shop. Like, when I was doing gigs, I would have to call up friends and borrow a guitar. So I borrowed money from my next-door neighbor, who was a friend of mine. I went back to the pawn shop where I had just pawned the guitar, took the guitar out, went and played the session, got paid, and put the guitar back into pawn, took the money and gave it to my neighbor. And lastly, big thanks to our sponsor, Axel Brewing, making beers that are a perfect companion for good stories and good times. Check them out at axelbrewing.com. All right, that's it. As always, thank you so much for listening. The End.